with another comeback win, this time coming in Tennessee. The Seahawks officially control their own playoff destiny with two weeks to go. Rob Rang and I are going to be taking a close look at where the playoff standings are at in the NFC and what the Seahawks need to do to get back to the postseason on a jam-packed Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hope each and every one of you had a spectacular Christmas holiday and Enjoy the rest of the holidays with your friends and family. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a jam-packed Tuesday episode coming your way. Since we didn't have our normal Monday episode, Tell the Truth Tuesday, a lot of insight from Sunday's win over the Titans in Nashville. We'll be checking out the current status of the playoff race in the NFC and starting to take a peek at the current Steel Curtain. The Steelers, who are coming off a big win over the Cincinnati Bengals on Christmas weekend. This episode is brought your way by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. By winning their second consecutive game and watching the Vikings fall to the Lions, Lions winning their first division title in the NFC North ever. Congratulations to Dan Campbell and company. With that loss for the Vikings, the Seahawks folded back into the number seven seed in the NFC. And the one thing that does mean with two games left to play, Rob, after last week not having full control of their playoff destiny, the Seahawks now 100% control their destiny. All they need to do to get into the postseason beat the Steelers, and beat the Cardinals the next two weeks, get to 10-7, and seven, and they are 100% guaranteed to be a wild-card team and playing past week 18. Yeah, and that was one of the things that we talked about in last week's show, Corbin, is that uh, you know the Seahawks just had to start winning because things were going to kind of work themselves out. You know, as you mentioned, uh, with, with the Vikings and the Lions playing each other, the Vikings and the Packers are going to be playing each other. That, that's two of the the other uh, you know combatants that the Seahawks have to worry about. Um, you know, so there are going to be some matchups that actually work out in Seattle's favor as long as they keep winning, and they do. Have have two winnable games, at least on paper here with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a home game and then going on the road to face the Arizona Cardinals. And the Cardinals, of course, have been out of the playoff picture here for about a month or so. So if the Seahawks can just hold serve, then Pete Carroll's squad is going to be once again returning to the postseason. Yeah, you look at where things stand in the NFC after this last week. Not everything went perfect for the Seahawks. The Rams did win on Thursday night against the Saints, a game that was not near as close as the final score indicated. The Rams were up big late, and the Saints were able to put a couple late garbage touchdowns on the board to make it look respectable. That was really a one-sided game. So that one didn't go the way the Seahawks wanted it to. But the Rams still have a game against the 49ers coming up later in the season, in the final week. And the 49ers, after losing to the Ravens last night, not just losing, getting it handed to them by the Ravens, 
they are going to have a lot to play for that week. They are going to have to win their last two games to ensure that they get the number one seed and to buy in the NFC. So they should have plenty to play for in that game against the Rams. So there's still a chance the Rams could slip up at some point here in the next couple of weeks, but that's a team that's playing as well as anybody. But from a positive perspective for the Seahawks, they got to see the Vikings lose that game to the Lions, even though Green Bay won, as we mentioned last week, that didn't really have much of a bearing since the Packers had lost their last two games. It didn't have much of a bearing on Seattle's playoff chances anyway. But what you got to look at with the standings now, Seattle has that six and five conference record. The Vikings they're six and four, so they're slightly better, but that eighth loss puts them behind. As for the other three teams that are still in contention, Atlanta, Green Bay, New Orleans, all three of those teams, Rob, have 500 or worse records against conference foes. Now, Green Bay has a chance to get to seven and five. They've got two more games against NFC squads. Seattle's only got one more. So, there's a chance Green Bay could play their way back into this if Seattle slips up. But again, this has been set up for the Seahawks. They have, at least on paper, one of the easier schedules left here these last two games. They get to play the tougher of those two games in front of their own fans at Lumen Field. It sets up favorably for them to be able to really position themselves. They can't lock up a playoff spot this week, but they can get very close to doing it, especially if a few other dominoes fall their way in other games. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to look at it from a statistical standpoint, at least the way the ESPN is uh, you know, projecting this, they're giving the Seahawks a 71% chance of uh, locking up a, a playoff spot, whether it be that number seven seed, maybe even jumping up to the sixth seed, fifth seed perhaps even. And then you have the Green Bay Packers would be next on the rankings. The Green Bay Packers are only at a 29% chance. So it's not just the Seahawks are the favorite to earn in that very last playoff spot they're, pro- they're they are the prohibitive favorite and again it on paper it looks like these are games the Seahawks should be able to win well, let's be real if the Seahawks aren't going to have any chance in the postseason they're going to have to be able to beat teams even better than the two clubs that they have on their remaining regular season schedule frankly if the Seahawks can't win these two games they don't deserve to be in the playoff conversation so that's why that victory at Lumen Field on Monday Night Football against the defending NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles was as huge as it was. And then to have a second quarterback, Juno Smith, your starter, of course, do the exact same thing that Drew Locke did rescue the Seahawks when they looked like there, there was a possible loss instead walk out of there with a victory. That's why that two game winning streak and perhaps a three or four game winning streak heading into the postseasons. Corbin, the Seahawks could be the hottest team in all of the NFC if they are able to win these last two games and get into the playoffs. Yeah, there's no question going into the playoffs, riding a four-game winning streak, the vibes this team would have going into the postseason, you would hope that that juice could carry into the extra games and you would have a chance to win a game or two in the postseason. Last year, even though they got in, they limped into the playoffs last season. It really was a struggle throughout the second half. If they could get a four-game winning streak to go into the playoffs, it would be a huge deal. And you look at the numbers here, and this is from the New York Times, just to put in perspective what can change this weekend. If the Seahawks win and the Rams and Vikings both lose, their playoff chances jump up to 98%. Again, they don't clinch, but they're very close to making it happen. If the Rams and the Packers lose, the Vikings or Packers are going to lose, one or the other. They're playing each other head-to-head. 
that's a 96% chance for the Seahawks. If the Rams and Vikings win, Green Bay loses, it's 87%. And interestingly, if Green Bay wins that matchup instead of Minnesota and the Rams win, still a good chance, but it doesn't improve their odds much to 77%. Any scenario with a loss, if the Rams lose, you're above 50%. If the Rams win, it drops down to 42% with the Vikings win and 26% with a Green Bay win. So that's what you should be rooting for this week. Really is the Rams losing and you need the Seahawks most importantly to win. And that's really what it boils down to, Rob. This is a much different discussion. I mean, we were having the same talk in the sense that the Seahawks had to win last week. Like that was a must win game, but even more so now. Just take care of your business and you won't have to rely on these other teams to help you up or help you out by slipping up. Get your job done on the field against two teams you are expected to beat. This next week is going to be difficult. Pittsburgh is playing for a playoff spot still in the AFC as well. They've got plenty riding on this game. The Cardinals in week 18, we've already seen some nightmare scenarios when the Cardinals and Seahawks get together at the end of the season. So NFL, every game is tough. Wins are hard to come by, but Seattle has got to take care of business. And if they're able to do that and get to 10 and 7, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. They are going to be the 6 or 7 seed in the NFC, regardless of what happens the rest of the league. They control their own destiny, and that's all you can ask for this time of year, especially when you lost 5 out of 6 in the middle of the season. To be in this position, the Seahawks, with these last two wins, there's a lot more optimism in the Pacific Northwest, and for good reason. Up next, we're going to break down that win in Tennessee. It was a close call. They had to sweat it out, but the Seahawks find a way to get that second straight win, this time coming on the road on Christmas Eve. We'll dish out our Tell the Truth Tuesday takes. That'll be coming up next here on Locked On Seahawks. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Entering week 17 of the season, make sure to check out the incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, such as the Seahawks being a favorite against the Steelers at home in Week 17. Player props, such as Geno Smith's total passing yards or touchdowns at Lumen Field this upcoming Sunday. Over-unders and much more. Visit FanDuel.com slash on and enjoy the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there, whether you're listening in nearby in West Seattle or overseas in Sydney, Australia. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports today is here for your 24-7 sports needs. They've got the top sports stories of the day with local experts of Locked On plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel the Seahawks improving to eight and seven on Christmas Eve Geno Smith delivering the goods before Santa can for Seahawks fans with a 20 to 17 victory over the Titans and certainly I've seen this on social media there were plenty of fans coming out of this game 
that seemed disappointed because, well, we only won by three. And this is a team that's been depleted by injuries. And we talked about that last week. But as our colleague Nick Lee pointed out on the show a week or late last week, he felt like this game, just because Mike Vrabel's the coach for the Titans, they still had a number of veterans that were playing this game. It was on the road, a different time zone. He expected Tennessee was going to come out and play tough and exceed expectations. And I think this game was more about that than Seattle not necessarily playing well, especially in the second half. you got to give credit to the Titans for being able to run the football the way they did in the first half. But overall, I think really what changed the tide for Seattle in this game, Rob, I felt like, especially the last two quarters, that they won in the trenches. They won at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, the Seahawks had to run the football. They were able to do so. A great deal of that was because Kenneth Walker the third. I mean, just his ability to make people miss is just remarkable. The fact that Seattle had six sacks in this football game, six. I mean, that's, you know, there's very rare that an NFL team is able to get six sacks on the road against a veteran quarterback. There are so many NFL teams out there, Corbin, who are just pushing these rookie quarterbacks onto the field that sometimes you can get that type of performance. But when you're talking about a Seahawks team that has struggled to create any type of consistent pass rush and they do it in an emotionally charged game, like you are going to have happen on a holiday like Christmas, of course. And for the Seahawks to be able to pull that off, uh, to, to slam the door shut on, on this game because of their pass rush um, and some hard hitting uh, by the secondary, to me was, uh, you know, again, one of the real reasons why I, I get it. There's going to be a lot of fans out there. The, I would say the fantasy football fans out there who all they care about are statistics and things like that. They don't watch football. A Mike Vrabel coach team for the Tennessee Titans, they are going to play physical. They are going to show heart. And the Tennessee Titans did so. I think you got to give a little bit of a tip of the cap to the fact that the Seahawks, despite the fact that they changed quarterbacks, of course, two consecutive game-winning drives in the closing seconds. I mean, throw the, the score out the freaking window, in my opinion. I thought that the Seahawks deserve an awful lot of credit for showing heart, showing resiliency, showing the competitiveness that Pete Carroll has always preached by earning this victory. And again, there's a lot of people who thought the Seahawks should just walk into Tennessee and just get the get this win. The Titans were just going to hand it over, you know, like a Christmas present or something. Instead, the Seahawks had to earn this victory they did so at the line of scrimmage, as you said, and uh, I thought that they did it in, in a multiple different fashions. Again, not only on the offensive side of the ball, the fact that they were able to pass protect, but the fact that they were able to create as much pressure as they did um, against, again, a, a quality veteran quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned the offensive line because I felt like early in this football game, the struggle Smith, the first couple of drives of this game. They were having a hard time keeping him upright. Charles Cross got blitzed on the first drive by Arden Key, yep. who admittedly, I'm wondering if he might have jumped off sides on that play. They got him the next snap, but still, he had a phenomenal jump off the line, and Charles Cross got whipped on that rep. He gave up another quarterback hit in the game. But going back and watching the All-22, especially that final drive, Geno Smith did get sacked once, so the, the line broke down one time. But the rest of that drive, including that ensuing third and 14, Geno Smith had to have time to get the football out when you're trying to pick up that kind of yardage. And they gave him a really clean pocket, was able to unload it to Jackson Smith and Jigba over the middle for an 18-yard gain. 
That is as impressive of a third down conversion as you are going to see, especially in a situation like that where the game is clearly on the line for the Seahawks. And I thought that overall the pass pro was pretty darn good. You gave up two sacks. There were a couple more quarterback hits, but most of them happened in the first half when the Seahawks were able to drive 96 yards on their first scoring uh, touchdown drive in the second half. You, you go back and watch the film. The offensive line was near flawless protecting Geno Smith that entire drive. And away from the sack on the final drive to win the game, they were outstanding throughout that drive as well, giving him time to unload the football. Smith was playing with poise, with confidence. The rest of the team fed off of that. And so this game really was about the line of scrimmage to me. And I think the fact they held Derrick Henry to 30 rushing yards and 11 carries in the second half, biggest reason for that to me, was the play of the defensive line, including the edge guys, was much better after the first half, admittedly not being where they needed to be and getting ran on all over the place by this Titans offense. As far as my next takeaway for this game, I want to dish out one that, you know, some are going to view this being a pessimist, but let me explain my rationale here. You mentioned it earlier. The Seahawks were able to run the ball when they needed to in this game. I don't know that I necessarily agree completely with that statement because, you take out two rushes by Ken Walker III, a 24-yarder and 11-yarder. They average under 1.7 yards per carry the rest of the football game. And so really what it boiled down to, they got two big plays from K-9, and he made both of those happen more with his ability to make guys miss and improvise than the blocking holding up in front of him. I thought there were some plays that it was blocked fairly well, and Ken Walker III Kind of got back to that indecisiveness that you don't want to see from him. He didn't get downhill. Instead of getting three or four yards, he took one or a loss. You can't have that happen regularly, and I thought it happened quite a bit in this game. So I thought it was an inconsistent performance from Ken Walker III. And this run game in general, there were certainly some bad blocking plays as well. This is my concern. I think the defense right now is playing well enough to be able to hold its own in the playoffs against better football teams. These last couple of weeks, they've looked really good. The pass rush is coming to life. The offense, the passing game, it hasn't matter who's been under center. They have found ways to get things moving, especially in the second half of this football game, throwing the football, getting a bunch of different receivers, tight ends, running backs involved. But if they are going to win in January, you have to be able to run the football. There's got to be some offensive balance. And right now, Rob, I just don't see enough of that. I don't see a consistency there. If they could play like they did against Philadelphia on Monday, if they could box that up and consistently run the ball that way, that wasn't a dominant effort, but it was more than enough to go with the passing game they had. That would make them a much more legitimate upset minded team in the playoffs if they can't run the ball on their one-dimensional though it's going to be hard to not be a one-and-done team that's just the reality it, it is but all that the seahawks really have to be able to do is to try to create the the threat of the running game and so to take a step back and you know i i, I do want to credit shane waldron um the offensive coordinator of course the play caller for the seahawks we, we've criticized him on multiple occasions in our program i think that he has deserved it but uh, i'm going to go back to that that final drive because and and just really when the seahawks were inside the 10 yard line they had their opportunity to win this football game and they had two runs inside the five where they got a gain of three and then a loss of three and i thought that that was beautiful football that's what exactly what the seahawks needed to do because they forced the tennessee titans to burn the two timeouts and had you had a veteran quarterback like ryan Tannehill have those two timeouts in the final drive on which they were trying to go down the field all they needed was a field goal 
time was of the essence at that point. So because of the threat of the running game, even though, again, a positive gain of three yards, a net loss of three guards, obviously that's just going to lower your average yard per carry. But at the same time, it was the threat of that, that that made the drive of the game, frankly, for the Seahawks, why they won that football game. It's not just because of the the, the accuracy, the, the courage to, to call a play. The Seahawks have not called not often enough, in my opinion, in our opinion. We, we've been, you know, pounding the table for the Seahawks to involve their tight ends, especially a guy who's six foot seven, like Kobe Parkinson. Just put him, isolate him off in the edge, throw the ball up to him and let him make the catch that he made. But to me, what was even more important than Geno Smith throwing that ball than Kobe Parkinson making that catch is the fact that the Seahawks had the courage to run the ball, knowing that they were unlikely to be able to get those touchdowns the way the Tennessee Titans did with Derrick Henry the drive before. But still, it ate off precious seconds off of the clock. That, to me, is what the Seahawks have to do. You don't have to have the most dominant running game in all, all of the NFL, but you do have to have the threat of it. The Seahawks demonstrate enough on the road, again, against a physical charge up Tennessee Titans defense to be able to to eke out this victory which again the fact that the Seahawks now have five wins so far this season in the final seconds whether it be Geno Smith or Drew Locke uh engineering those comebacks to me that just kind of says the mentality people want to say what's the Seahawks uh, identity Seahawks identity is the fourth quarter is theirs yeah, and we're starting to see that more here the last few weeks. You would have liked to see it in Dallas because, man, if they could have got that game right now, we'd be having a much different discussion with them being nine and six. We wouldn't be talking about wild card. You know, there'd still be that outside chance. Maybe they could get an NFC West championship. But uh, there's a number of things that have not gone their way, and yet here they are. They're eight and seven. They're going to be going up against another eight and seven team this upcoming weekend, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Up next, we're going to take a look at what's new with the Pittsburgh Steelers, additions, departures. And I know you're really excited to talk about the draft picks, and I am too, because there's a number of players Pittsburgh drafted that we had very high on our boards when we were previewing the 2023 NFL draft. Don't go away. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Game Time. If you've ever been on the hunt for sports or concert tickets at the last minute, the process can be anxiety-provoking, and that's especially evident at the holiday season. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. If you want to see the Seahawks battle the Steelers, at Lumen Field on New Year's Eve using GameTime's awesome flash, di- flash deals feature and a detailed stadium map, you can find awesome seats for under $110. And it's super easy. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And the GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets elsewhere in the same section and the same row for less, GameTime will credit you 110%. Of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code locked on NFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code locked on NFL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to each and every one of the 12s out there. Thank you for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen 
five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We are now entering week 17 of the regular season. Hard to believe, but only two games left. The Seahawks in a better position to make the playoffs, as we talked about earlier in the show, but they can't clinch this weekend, even with a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are an even more desperate team coming into this game. They still mathematically are alive in the playoff race after beating the Cincinnati Bengals last weekend, not just beating them, they whipped the Bengals in an unexpected blowout with Mason Rudolph under center. They are 8-7, and seven, just like the Seahawks, but it's a much more crowded field in the AFC, and they are near the bottom of the totem pole still. They absolutely have to have this game to keep their playoff hopes alive. The Seahawks, they, they would slip quite a bit if they lost this game, but they would still have a decent chance to make the playoffs if they can win the following week. Losing this week eliminates Pittsburgh. So, Rob, this is a Steelers team that's going to have a great deal of urgency heading into the new year. They certainly are. And that's why I think this is a, a, a frightening game for the Seahawks, just because the fact that, you know, Mike Tomlin, um, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, we talked about it, uh, you know, a week ago with Mike Vrabel, um, the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. He was going to have his team raid, uh, kind of punch the Seahawks in the mouth. Certainly Mike Tomlin, I, at least in my opinion, is among the, the best motivators. I think the, among the best head coaches in all of the NFL. I think that it's ludicrous. Uh, when, when you hear people talk about that Pete Carroll should be fired, that Mike Vrabel should be fired, that Mike Tomlin should be fired, uh, I just think that these are some of the best coaches in all of the league. The fact that they were able to beat a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, who had their own backup quarterback, of course, in Jake Browning, but the Steelers have their own quarter, their own backup quarterback in Mason Rudolph, as you mentioned. This is a Steelers team that has some talent, um, but definitely has gone over some transition here, um, just because of injuries. Kenny Pickett, we will see um, his availability in this football game, but I'm going to assume that it's going to be Mason Rudolph again. Um, but let's talk about some of the things that we know for sure. Certainly uh, one of the, the huge departures for the Pittsburgh Steelers is a, is a player for the Seattle Seahawks. And, and Devin Bush had his opportunity um, this past week. I thought that he played an incredibly important role to the Seahawks run defense going up against Derrick Henry. You may have saw number zero on the field for the Seahawks a little bit more in this particular game. But as you said before the break, Corbin, what I really want to talk about is the rookie class. I think that Pittsburgh does a terrific job year in and year out uh, of just for, for um, fortifying their, their entire squad. Um, and they took a, an offensive tackle, Broderick Jones, right tackle from Georgia, who was only a first year, a one year starter at Georgia, but still he plays with the size, the physicality that just kind of typifies Pittsburgh Steelers football, but still he is a rookie at that right tackle position. That's something I think that we're going to be talking about a little bit more as we get to our, our matchup Wednesday show. It's a couple of the other picks that I think are especially intriguing. You and I have talked so much about Joey Porter Jr. and just his size, his length, how he you know projected so well to what Seattle likes to do. The defensive lineman, Keanu Benson from Wisconsin, who had just been a splashy player at, uh, at the Senior Bowl as well. To me, those are a couple of the players the Pittsburgh Steelers selected and are excelling in Pittsburgh that, uh, again, are one of the reasons why, from a evaluation standpoint. I love to watch football games like this. I want to see the young stars in the NFL. The Pittsburgh Steelers have several of them. It remains to be seen what's going to happen at the quarterback position. But again, I think this is going to be a fascinating matchup just to see who are the young players that are going to be seizing the league soon. 
Those are really the big additions for this Steeler team. You look at some of the free agent signings, Isaac Sumalo, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl a year ago, they brought him in to fortify the middle of their offensive line. But most of the move that they made to supplement this roster was very Green Bay Packers-like. They were bringing in their own players, and I loved their first three rounds. I think Broderick Jones is a really solid pick. There's been some expected rookie struggles for him, and he's been in and out of the lineup at times for the Steelers this year. But Joey Porter Jr. has flashed the immense talent that he has, the instincts that he plays with, his length is undeniable. He's a physical football player on the outside. Keanu Benton was one of my favorite interior defensive linemen in this entire class, and he has played a lot of snaps for the Steelers in the middle. But I'd be remiss not to mention a few of their day three guys. That's what makes a really great draft class. And Nick Herbig, who played for Wisconsin last year, he only has two sacks, but he is that undersized, feisty pass rusher that really fits the 3-4 that Pittsburgh runs. And he has gotten some snaps as a situational pass rusher. He blocked a punt last week that ended up turning into a touchdown. So he's a really good special teams player. Herbig is one of those high energy guys that he makes a lot of plays happen that he doesn't necessarily record the tackle or make the play that's going to show up in the box score. But he is just one of those 110% effort guys that plays with every ounce of effort possible. Not a big guy, but he plays much bigger than what he is. And he just fits that Pittsburgh Steelers mentality. Him with TJ Watt is a really interesting one-two punch in, in terms of rotating. And then Darnell Washington, the tight end out of Georgia, another player that many Seahawks fans were clamoring for in the pre-draft process, even though tight end was not a position of major need for the Seahawks. But you want to talk about massive guy that can move, only has seven catches, but he's starting to play a lot more in Pittsburgh's offense. Fryermuth has been banged up, so he's gotten more snaps as a result. And he has a chance to be a really good secondary tight end with Fryermuth in this offense. So they've got a lot of rookies that have a chance to make impact plays in this football game. And as far as the additions go, as I mentioned, the most notable being the other guy they brought in from the commanders that can play the linebacker spot. But most of the key additions that they've had have been through the draft, bringing in players out of college that can help immediately. And they've got a bunch of them that have been instant contributors. And oh, by the way, they also fired their offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, a few weeks ago. And now we're starting to see the offense come to life a little bit. They're going to probably have Rudolph under center again in this game. And he had maybe the best game of his career last week against the Bengals. But this is an offense that seems to be trending a little bit upward the last couple of weeks after really struggling for the entirety of this season, regardless of who's played quarterback. Yeah, exactly. And I love that that's how you uh, describe that is the way that the Pittsburgh Steelers offense has kind of, uh, you know, exploded over the last couple of weeks, uh, almost regardless of who they've had at quarterback. And to me, a huge part of that ha has been the play of George Pickens, the big, tall receiver. Um, you know, that that's one of the things the Seahawks have proven themselves to be a little bit vulnerable at times um, is if there are receivers who have size, who have speed, that can make people miss and be able to create those chunk plays. We have seen the Seahawks be able to kind of locked down on some of the big receivers um, over the over the year. Um, but again, George Pickens, he is not a rookie. He's only he's a second-year player, however. Also from George, as we had kind of talked about before with some of these other players, again, he is somebody that we're going to be talking about in tomorrow's show when we're breaking down all the key matchups for the Seahawks to get this victory against the Steelers. 
As always, you can follow me on X at Corbett Smith NFL threads as well. Same handle at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow, as you mentioned a moment ago, Rob, it's our favorite episode of the week. Matchup Wednesday, we'll be diving into the key positional battles to watch when the Seahawks and Steelers meet up on New Year's Eve at Lumen Field. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Happy holidays and go Hawks.